Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. There was a recent... Barna Group survey done, and Barna, if you don't know, Barna Group is a, a survey organization that they uh, do surveys in churches and in Christian circles to kind of see where Christianity stands and how many believers there are and what their beliefs are and things like that. And they did a, a recent study and they asked people what the majority of their prayers were focused on. They didn't ask them what they, you know, how often they prayed. They asked, what are the majority of your prayers focused on? And here's the answers that they gave. 62% of people said that their prayers were focused on gratitude and thanksgiving. That their prayers focused on thanking God for what he had done in their life and being grateful to God for what he'd done. 61% said that their, their, their prayers focused on the needs of, the fam, of their family and their community that they prayed for their needs of their family, they prayed for the community that they lived in. 49% said that they prayed for, for personal guidance during a time of crisis and that they prayed during times of crises and during times of trials and prayed for God to guide them. 47% said that they prayed for personal health and wellness, that the majority of their prayers focused on their own health, their own uh, safety and things like that. said that they only prayed, uh, that they prayed for things that they suddenly felt compelled to pray about. That the majority of their prayers were focused on when God laid something on their heart, that they felt a compelling need to pray for that. Uh, 41% said that they're focused on their prayers, on their safety, in their daily tasks or travels. They just, they prayed, uh, you know, that hedge of protection prayer we always pray Lord, put a hedge of protection around them. Why do we pray for a hedge? You know, a hedge isn't very safe. You know, you can just jump over a hedge. Why don't we pray for like a wall of protection or something? But we have to pray a hedge of protection. And so they pray for that hedge of protection. And then 37% said that their prayer is focused on blessings for meals. Now, there's a lot we can take out of that. But the one that shocks me the most is only 37% of the respondents prayed for their meals. That's it. 37% of these people who said that they prayed, prayed for their meals. So they're not even bowing their head. I mean, they're, they're praying for, for gratitude and thanksgiving, just not when it comes to mealtime, I guess. Prayer in the life of the believer is not a formality or a ritual, a religious ritual that we go through. It's not just some, some ritual or some religious practice that we're supposed to obey as believers. Prayer in the Bible is a dominant theme throughout the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, prayer is a dominant thing. Prayer is a really big deal in the scriptures. The actual word 
prayer. Uh, the Greek word or Hebrew word, whether it's uh, supplication or asking, whatever, whatever translation it is into English, the Greek word or Hebrew word for prayer is mentioned over 200 times in Scripture. There are over 600 prayers recorded in the Bible. 25 times in the New Testament, we have Jesus going apart to pray, and we see 25 times Jesus focusing on on praying and, and having a passion for prayer and making prayer a priority. There are multiple ways that we as believers are called by God to pray. We are called to praise God in prayer. When we pray, we're to go to God and One of the ways that God tells us to pray is to to praise him for what he's done. And every one of us can praise God for what he's done in our life. You know, if you do, you say, well, my life's got nothing to be praising about. Well, you're you're alive and well enough to be in church tonight. You're you're living in, in America where you've got the freedom right now to worship freely and openly. You live in the, the, in the year 2020 where there's technology, where you can have the heat on. And then some of you are like, well, why don't we have it on now? Because I get hot up here. But we could, if we wanted to, have the heat on. And we have electricity and technology. And we have all these blessings around us. You know, we were watching a couple of days ago. I think it was the other day. We were watching uh, um, uh, the Waltons with Alexi and Connor. And how many of y'all ever watched the Waltons? Ever seen the Waltons? How many of you like the Waltons? You young people need to watch the Waltons. Did you know you can go to Waltons Mountain right up here near Charlottesville and tour the, the house? But anyway, uh, we're sitting there watching it, and I asked the kids, I said, would you like to live during that time? They said, no. They did too much work. They were stacking wood, and they didn't have their phones. And so, you know, and I, I, I you know, like nostalgically think, man, it'd be nice to go back to that time, but I don't want to live during that time. You know, April likes Little House on the Prairie, and she's always like, I would love to live in that time period. I'm like, not me. I don't want to die at 16 because I got a cut on my foot. I, won't, I like to live in a time where there's, there's medicine that's not involved with, you know, leeches or people just cutting you open and letting you bleed out. I, I want to live in a time where, where if I want bread, I can just go to the store and get bread. I don't have to grow the grain and shuck the grain and all that to make the bread. I can just go buy bread. If I want a bath, I just go take a hot bath. I don't got to wait for it to be spring and take a bath in the creek. And so, thank God that you live in this time period. And so one of the ways we're called to pray is we are to praise God in prayer. Another way we are called to thank God in prayer. We are invited by God to lay our requests before him in prayer. There is, you know, the Bible says that God gives us the desires of our hearts, that God wants to, us to cast our care upon him because he cares for us. And so God invites us, says, hey, you have a need, you have a burden, you have a, a trial that you're going through. God says, bring your problems and your burdens to me. Another way we are called to pray is we are called to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not just for their health and wellness. Not just for their traveling mercy. Not just for wisdom as they go through a trial. We're going to see that in the book of Ephesians tonight. And so as we continue through Ephesians, we're going to see this is taught. Lawrence Richard said this about prayer. He said, we learn to pray by praying. But we learn about prayer and how to take our own first steps into the heart of God by considering prayer as it is illustrated and modeled 
in the Word of God. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to see how God says we, as believers, are to pray for each other. But before we get into the scripture tonight, I want to remind you about where we are in the book of Ephesians. Of course, Ephesians was written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus was a, a very dynamic church. Ephesus itself was a very dynamic city. It was a diverse city. It was a, a port city, so it was a, a major hub for people from all different cultures and nationalities to come through, and they'd settle there as a wealthy city. But it was also a very wicked city. Uh, they had temples to the goddess Diana, which was the goddess of sex in the Greek Empire. And those temples were actually just houses of prostitution. And they actually had the largest one in the world. They had the one that was so large it was considered one of the seven man-made wonders of the world. And so it was a very large city, but it was a very wicked city with a very fast-growing Christian uh, denomination in there and Christian group of believers. And so Paul is writing to these believers to encourage them as they live in a culture that is very anti-God. And he begins the book of Ephesians by telling them who they are in Christ. And we, we talked about this. The first three chapters are Paul lifting us up and telling us who God thinks we are and who God says we are. And then, then the next three are God saying, because you are these things, this is what God expects of you. He gives us a little taste of that beginning here in, chapter 15, in verse 15. But so he's told this uh, for, the, for the, who they are. And of course, we saw uh, verse 3 through verse 14 is the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament. And in that, Paul says, we're chosen, we're adopted, we're loved, we're, we're accepted. We're all these things that God says. And through that sentence, we came with an, up with an identity statement. And remember our identity statement? In Christ, I am a loved, accepted child of the Father. And who I am is who I am in him. And those things that Paul talked about and those things that Paul said we were, they are true of every believer the moment they put their faith and their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. It's not something that we hope to be or that we're working to be or that we're striving to be. It is who we are now. And after Paul gives us this truth, he continues. So look at verse number 15. Bible says, wherefore. Now that word wherefore, in the Greek, it literally means because of or for this reason. So for this reason, Paul says, for what reason? For the reason he just gave. Because of all the things he just said, there's something that is expected of us. Because we are chosen. Paul's about to give us a command. Because we are adopted. Because we are loved. Because we are accepted, because we are favored, because we are redeemed, because we are forgiven, because we have God's perspective, because we are heirs, because we are sealed, God expects some things of us. So what does Paul said he did? He says, because of all that, or wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul is telling these believers here, hey, because of all these things that are true about you, they're also true about me, because of all these things that you are in Christ, I have not stopped praying for you. So what Paul is telling us here is because of who we are, 
there is something that is expected of us, and that thing is we are to pray for each other. Because of all those things we are in Christ, we should be praying for each other. So as we unpack this scripture, I want to ask and answer two questions tonight. Here's the first one. Why should we pray for other believers? Why should we pray for other believers? Well, Paul, he said that he heard two things about these believers in the, the city of Ephesus. And these, these weren't random things he heard about them. He heard indicators of a life that had been changed by the gospel. Look at it again in verse 15. <coughs> he says, Wherefore, I also heard, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So he heard about their faith in God. He'd heard that they had accepted Christ as their Savior, that they'd heard the gospel. They realized the fact that they were sinners, condemned for hell, destined for hell, deserving of hell. And they put their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And they'd accepted him as their Savior. So he goes, I heard that you put your faith in Christ. I heard that you have a relationship with God. But that's not all he heard. He said, I heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and love Unto all the saints. He said, I heard that you believe in Jesus. You put your faith in Christ. And I heard you, love, you have a love for all the saints. So here's what he's saying. I heard that you have a relationship with God. And you have a relationship with other believers. He heard about their abiding relationship with God. And the connections that existed among other believers in the church. And here's what Paul's trying to tell us. These two relationships, relationship with God and relationship with other believers are foundational in following God. They are foundational in walking with God. So this was a big deal to Paul, but it was also a big deal to Jesus. Look what Jesus said in chapter John chapter 13 verse 35. He said, by this, so he's going to show us what it means, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Again, we talked about this morning, the disciple is what? A pupil, a student. So Jesus is saying here, by what I'm about to tell you, everyone will know that you're a follower of me. That you are a believer in me. That you have a relationship with me. That you obey me. That you follow my teachings. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. Our relationship with God and a relationship with God's children are our primary. And God says the only way people are going to tell that you're my disciples is not by how much you go to church. It's not how well you dress. It's not by the size of the Bible you carry around. It's not by the standards you have. It's not by all these things that you put so much stock in. He goes, people will know that you have a relationship with me by the relationship you have with other believers. In Matthew, Jesus is asked by a lawyer, what is the most important commandment? He was trying to trip Jesus up, and so Jesus, to answer him, told him that there were two commandments that were so important, the rest of the law and the prophets and everything hung on these two commandments. And he said the first one is to love God with everything you have. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love God with everything. And then love others as you love yourself. 
So he said the most two th- important two things we can do is love God and love others the way we want to be loved. So what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter verse 15 is he, he says, I am so blessed to hear that what is true of you in Christ, these things that are, that are true of you, the, that you're, in, you're accepted, you're chosen, you're loved, you're adopted, all these things that are true of you in Christ are being seen in your daily life with others. That what's true of you positionally is being worked out in your life practically. Now, Paul, he begins Ephesians by sharing our position in Christ. Positionally, we are accepted. Positionally, we are loved. Positionally, we are holy. And we're all those things because of him. Because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his incredible grace and mercy and love for us, these are what we, it has nothing to do with us. We can never be accepted in our own strength. We can never be holy in our own strength. And so even even after salvation, we try and try and try to be holy, but we can't be holy practically, but we are holy positionally. Your position with God is not dependent on your practices. It is, not, it is based on him. And so he says, because of our position in Christ, there are some practices that we should have. Why? If we don't earn these positions, and they're freely given to us and we can't earn them, why do, are there some things that we should do because of who we are in Christ? Because, remember, we said this last week, Being in Christ means that Christ is in me. And it's not my life that I'm living. It's the life of Christ in me that's being lived. So people don't, see, people aren't supposed to look at me and say, oh, well, there's a good guy. Or even say, oh, that person, he reflects the life of Christ. I'm not supposed to reflect the life of Christ. I'm supposed to have the life of Christ in me. And so Paul is saying, because you are in Christ and all these things, that means Christ is in you. And since Christ is in you, here are some things that should be seen in your life. Every area of your life is now supposed to be his life in you being lived out. As a child of God, we are being conformed to his image on a daily basis. And so our position in God is given in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. But the practices we should have because of our position is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 15 through verse 23. Uh, verse 15 to 23. So Paul is telling us that who we are in Christ should change what people see in us. So who we are and what it looks like to have God lived out through us. So what is true about us positionally, God works out practically as he lives his life through us. As we are conformed to his image, as he lives his life through us. And so what Paul is praying is that who they are positionally will be seen in practice in their life. So why do we have to pray for people? Because here's what Paul's telling us. We are invited into the to join God in his activity in the lives of other believers. I am invited by God to pray for you as you grow in God and walk in God that who you are positionally will be lived out in your life practically. And you're supposed to pray that for me too. 
We are invited to join in God's activity in the lives of other believers by praying that who they are in Christ becomes Christ in them. So should we pray for other believers who are sick? Certainly. Should we pray for other believers who are, who are going through trials? Of course. Should we pray for other believers as they're traveling on the road that God puts a hedge of protection around them because, you know, hedges are so great and safe? Yes, we should. But our major prayer for other believers is that God in them will be seen in their life. That God will work in their life and shape their life and mold them so that Christ in them becomes them in Christ. And we can see the life of Christ in them. So Paul is praying that what is true about them is seen in their lives. That's, that's why we should pray. We should go to God and say, oh God, bless so-and-so. Be with Brother David. Lord, I know he's got a tough time with his wife. Lord, she's just so wicked. I don't know how he puts up with her for all these years. And he's got to drive trucks, and he's driving a truck up 81. And Lord, we know that driving up 81 will make anyone lose their religion. So Lord, I pray that you would just draw him to you. I pray that you would help him to realize who he is in you. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in his life, that who he is in you is seen in his life as he deals with his wicked wife, as he deals with those wicked drivers on the road. God, help Christ in him be seen by other people. And we should pray that for each other. You should pray that for me. You really need to pray that for me sometimes. Sometimes Christ in me ain't seen so much, but my flesh, man, my flesh is seen a whole lot. You see my flesh? Make me mad. Ask April. But I mean, so we're for praying that who we are in Christ is seen in us by others. That's why we should pray for other believers. But here's, here's how should we pray for other believers. I'm not going to give you what to say. But it's one thing to see that we need to pray. But how do we pray? Well, number one, we should pray consistently. Look at verse number 16. He says, cease not I cease not to give thanks to you. So Paul is saying, since I heard about how who you are in Christ is being lived out in your life, I have not stopped praying for you. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I have not stopped praying that God would continue to work in your life. He is referencing praying and saying that he does not stop praying to God for them. Here's what that means. Paul, if he saw someone in the church, who maybe they weren't as close to God as they used to be. Maybe he saw someone who was backsliding, who was struggling. Maybe he saw someone who they used to be closer to God, but some problems came up, some trials came up. Maybe, maybe the, they've allowed some other things, and they, they've kind of drifted from God. He didn't send them a blog. He didn't send them a, a sermon. He didn't send them a podcast. He didn't send them a book. He prayed for them. He says, God, help them. Get a hold of them. The only thing that we can do as believers to see Christ lived through the life of other believers is to pray for them. Now, I'm not saying if you hear a good sermon, you shouldn't send it to somebody. I'm not saying you read a good blog, you shouldn't send it to somebody. But look, you shouldn't hear a sermon and say, oh, so-and-so needs to hear that and send it to them. I hate, sometimes I'll preach a sermon, and people will leave and say, I'll preach, that was a great sermon. I just wish so-and-so could hear that. They, they needed that. No, you needed that probably more. 
So don't say, don't be looking at stuff to send to people. Don't be reading blogs saying, oh, I gotta, I gotta read this because Tommy needs it. I gotta send him something because he's doing bad. So don't, don't be. But if you read some or hear something or say, hey man, that's great. That's an encouragement to me. I bet that'll be encouragement. That's fine. But if you see a Christian struggling, Paul says, pray for him. Pray for him consistently. The only thing we can do is pray. The greatest thing that we can do for each other is to pray. And let's be honest, that's an easy phrase and a polite gesture to say. When someone comes up to us, gives us a problem, or we see it, we say, I'll pray for you. How many times have we all said that and really never done it? We do it because we feel bad. Maybe we're obligated to say it. Maybe, and I've been guilty of this, I do it because I'm trying to get out of the conversation. Like, I've heard enough of your problems. I've got other things to do. I'll pray for you. Peace. And so we, we use it as kind of a, an obligation or a way to get out of a something. But because of the power of prayer, those words should be meaningful. I'll pray for you should be a meaningful, powerful phrase. It is an honor to talk to God on behalf of other believers. And we need to be consistent in it. And just like anything in your life, if you want to be consistent in it, you need a plan. And your plan is different than my plan. But we need a plan to make sure we are consistently praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you do, do good with lists. Maybe you're a list person and you can write your list and you keep, look, I like writing lists, but I always lose my list. So lists aren't great for me. I'll write a list and then like, where did I put my list? So I need a list of where I put my lists to keep up with, but I lose that list. Maybe you're great with lists. Maybe you love lists and you can just check off lists. Maybe you need a list to say, pray for these people. And don't pray for the same people every day. That gets repetitive and let's be honest, you'll be praying forever and start praying for everybody. So just maybe go through the list of the, of the church directory and say, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for this person today. And maybe you just do it once a week. I don't know. But make a list to keep yourself consistent. Maybe you uh, do good with notes around the house or a reminder on your phone. Maybe you have a, a prayer journal. I have a prayer journal that helps me to pray. And I was looking through it this week and going back and looking at some of the answers to prayer that God has given me. So maybe you do good with prayer journals. Maybe you do good with whatever it is. Find something that works that reminds you to pray for other people. We will not be consistent in praying for each other if it is not in front of us regularly. It's easy to say we'll pray for someone and never do it. You know, I just said, sometimes we hear a problem, we'll say, I'll pray for you, and we don't. So here's the thing. If you have a problem when you say to someone, I'll pray for you, that you forget to pray for them, when you say those words, I'll pray for you, why not do it right then? You don't got to have an hour-long prayer session. Just hear them say, man, that is so bad. Let me pray for you right now. And you know how much that would encourage the other believer? When you, you take the time not to say, I'll pray for you, see you later, brother. But you say, let's pray right now. And that way, you've, you've, you've prayed for them. You've got taken care of. But make a plan to be consistent. We are to pray consistently. How else are we to pray? We are to pray gratefully. Again, in verse 16, he goes, I cease not to give thanks for you. As we pray for each other, we're to do it with the spirit of gratitude. See, do not pray for people to fix them. You know, I've had people come to me in the years, say, Preacher, pray for my wife. She needs to get better. They'll give me a list of what they want their wife to do better. Can you pray my wife will be better? 
I'll pray your wife finds another man, but, you know, maybe God will kill you because you don't appreciate her. Pray gratefully for other people. Here's what Peter said in 2 Peter. He says, according to his divine power, hath given to all of us things that pertain unto life and godliness through knowledge of him that hath called us to God, to glory and to virtue. So what Peter's saying here is God has given us all things as it comes to him living his life through us. That means every one of us here, every believer here, we have everything we need to have God live his life in us. And one thing that he gave us to have his life live through us is his family. So here's what that means. To have the life of Christ lived through us, like it or not, you need me and I need you. We need each other. And it's not a burden, it's a gift. It's a gift from God to help us. Just like your regular family, I know your regular family can be a burden, but they're not a burden. So we pray for each other, pray thankfully for what God has given us. Christ started the church to give us a family. It's a necessity. The church is not an event we attend, it is a family that we belong to. And we are to be grateful for what God has given us in Christ and in his family. So we should pray consistently. We should pray gratefully. Thirdly, we should pray desperately. He says, make and mention of you in my prayers. If we're honest, I mean, if, we're, if we are really, really honest, the reason that we don't pray for each other is because it's not a priority. The reason we don't pray typically is because it's not a priority. It's not because of our schedule or spirituality. It's because we don't see the need of it. We don't see our need to pray, and we don't see the need of others that others have for our prayer. See, here's what I'm saying. Desperate people pray. Prideful people don't. Prideful people think, I've got this under control. I don't need God right now. My life's okay. I'm healthy. My finances are in good shape. My family's doing well. My job's doing good. I'll pray when I need God. Desperate people understand my finances are doing good. My family's doing good. I'm healthy. Everything's great. But I desperately need God. The major thing that keeps us from praying is we don't see the need of prayer. Unfortunately, it usually takes a desperate situation. It takes a major event for us to see the need. The need always exists, not just in hard times. The need is there when everything's going well. The need is there when your walk with God is going great and you're talking to God and reading your Bible and praying and witnessing and you're doing all the things you're supposed to do and your life's going great and your walk with God's going great. You still need God and so do other believers. They need your prayers that they stay on the right track. That God keeps the, the devourer away from them because here's the thing, every one of us has an enemy. He's trying to kill us and you may be doing good right now, but that's because he's looking for a place to attack you. John Ortenberg said this. He goes, when we, reach, <clears throat> when we reach the limit of our resources, 
We pray instinctively and reflexively, like the way a man lacking oxygen gasps for breath and the way a man who is falling reaches out for something to grab. It is not bad to pray in a time of crisis. One of God's most amazing attributes is that he is humble enough to accept people when they turn to him in sheer desperation, even when they have been ignoring him for years. Desperation prayers have been the beginning of spiritual life for many people. But by themselves, such prayers are not sufficient to sustain spiritual life. Many of us fall into a pattern where the only times we pray are the times when we are prompted by crisis or pain. The rest of the time, we rely on our own strength and cleverness. Paul understood and knew that the believers at Ephesus belonged to God. Their life backed up the truth that they belonged to God. They were involved in the mission of God. And he knew that because of that, they were in a battle. The same is true for us. We are people of God who are trying to engage in the mission of God. And we have an enemy who is seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that truth should prompt us to pray for other believers. We need to pray consistently. We need to pray gratefully. And we need to pray desperately. Jim Cimbala said this. Does anyone really think that America today is lacking preachers, books, Bible translations, and neat doctrinal statements? What we really lack is the passion to call upon the Lord until he opens the heavens and shows himself powerful. Let's pray for each other.